Somebody's gotta be gay. I, I was in Boy Scouts for a year. And I had to wonder. And then Cats in the Cradle kicks in and it's a whole thing. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that isn't France and is not a fool like you, Mary. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Thomas Schneider. We are properly married. Every day I miss the Cardinal of York. It me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, sorry to any listeners that are actually named Mary. If we seem to be insulting you right oh, off I the bat, it was just but... a pride thing, you know, like Mary. <laughs> it is Pride Weekend. That's true. I just got a delightful text from my gay internet love, wishing me happy Pride. Well, nice. And I said I was so gay for him, <laughs> even though that doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. It's okay. That's right. It's Pride, buddy. <laughs> Anyway, uh, happy Pride mm-hmm. to all of our LGBTQIA, etc. I know there's more. I used to know them all. I'm sorry. Like Pokemon. <laughs> there's always so. This more. is this is actually coming out a week after Pride weekend, right? As but, it happens, uh, but you know, on up years downstairs, it's Pride weekend every day. <laughs> That's right, every day. That's right. Back to Wolf Hall, <laughs> <laughs> where no one is gay. <laughs> Somebody's got to be gay. Um, yeah. I wonder who. Gardner seems gay. Yeah, I could see that. But he might that. not be gay because I think he might be the person from the thing that I remember that I like. <laughs> um. Okay. I mean the character. Right. I understand. Mark Gaddis is in fact gay. Okay. In case anybody was wondering, <laughs> he's married to a guy named Ian. I wasn't wondering. Well, now you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like, why do I care who an uggo is married to? Oh, I feel so bad for him, but he's so ugly. <laughs> Just that nose. Look, <laughs> he's like a reject from Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> wow, we usually don't get this harsh, but here I don't we know are. what's going on. It's Pride, Mary. It's Pride. <laughs> Forget it, Mary. It's Pride Weekend. <laughs> So, uh, it is definitely not for Pride Weekend in 1529. It's possibly even Shame Weekend. <laughs> I think it's Shame Weekend every weekend <laughs> in 1529. Well, only until the Tyndale gets into wide circulation. Oh, well, that's right. That's why they're trying to keep it out of, out of circulation. Uh, but, uh, Wolsey's still at Escher, and Anne and Norfolk want him even more, uh, out of London than Escher, but Cromwell wants him back. When I want you back <laughs> the backstreet cromwells <laughs> speaking of cromwell cromwell is sitting in a waiting area looking very cromwelly and the king enters and cromwell approaches and the king refuses to talk about the cardinal basically because he has a sad yeah that's literally what i am led to because he's like i can't i can't talk about the cardinal you know why and then he just like leaves <laughs> I'm like, you govern a kingdom? Like, what the fuck, dude? He really does. Gardner comes up and is a total chode. Yeah. I don't like him nearly as much as you do. Look. Comments about Mark Gaddis's appearance completely notwithstanding. Right. Look, again, to be clear, I, I, like I say, delightfully repugnant. I understand. Still repugnant. But I'm like, like quipping in a crumb. <laughs> He's my favorite. Uh, so Cromwell rides his horse up to Escher, 
uh, and apparently a cat had kittens in Wolsey's room. Under his bed. Under his very bed. One of bed. them is, I'm assuming there's more kittens, but he's real fixated on the black one. <laughs> That's right, uh, because he feels that that is a bad omen for a journey. Uh, he's going to be going north because he is, after all, the Archbishop of York, even though he has never been to York. That is embarrassing. <laughs> that yes. is as absurd as a police force not living in the precincts that they patrol. That's right. Uh, but so he's going up there and, uh, Cromwell talks some shit about people in Yorkshire, which is actually way dialed down from how much shit he talks about Yorkshire in the book. <laughs> <laughs> he calls, I swear to God, it's like, like mud people or just something ridiculous. <laughs> it's crazy. Mud bloods. <laughs> right. Hillary Mantel just threw that in to see if the Booker Prize committee would catch it and <laughs> didn't. Cause the rest of it was so bomb. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he says that the king is trying to send a message to the Pope by exiling Wolsey and that he feels like, uh, Catherine. Uh, he has been cast off, but he still loves Henry. Although I haven't seen, I mean, we've only seen Catherine for like a split second, right. but I'm like, does she love him still? I think it's a fair question. Like, oh God, a lot it's of been, questions. It's been 20 years. That's. But how long have they been living like apart? Uh, yeah, that's true. That's I don't my know. question because. I think well, it's, that's the other thing. Okay, yeah, they've been together twenty years, and she hasn't gotten a male heir. Like, maybe you should like try living together and having <laughs> sex occasionally. That might help out. Yeah, he feels like they tried that already. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's clearly at this point, you know, yeah, at least perimenopausal, right? Like, right. it's not like, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, I think that's the main issue. Chances are not great. Yeah. Uh. So Cromwell suggests that they bribe people and uh says that the king misses him and that you know the 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 kitten's uh new life under your bed. I'd call that a good omen. And Wolsey's like, "Oh, you lawyer." <laughs> <laughs> Leave it to lawyer. <laughs> At Austin Friars in London, which is the Cromwell family home. Indeed. Gregory is back for Christmas with his pet dogs, and apparently he's trying to grow a beard, and it's not going well. Yeah. And uh, he goes to Cromwell's study and promptly sets about just fucking up Cromwell's work. <laughs> oh, Gregory. And um, Cromwell's like, that was a calculation. It wasn't just where I dropped him. <laughs> and they don't have what you'd call a good relationship. Yeah. Gregory waxes nostalgic about some Christmas where they had Marlin Spike the Giant mm-hmm. in the local pageant. And Aunt Johanna says they won't have the Epiphany Feast this year due to the Cardinal's disgrace. Right. And, you know, Cromwell's like, yeah, nobody would come. Mm-hmm. And uh, people at Cambridge apparently make fun of Gregory's dogs because they're black, not white, and only a felon would have dogs that can't be seen at night. Yeah. I went through a very similar thing with Air Jordans as a child. <laughs> Okay, that's weird. <laughs> no. But, uh... I'm just saying that kids are dicks. Kids are dicks. And Cromwell brings out the kitten and says that its name is Marlon Spike, and he's trying to, you know, cheer Gregory uh-huh. up, and Gregory's like, my dogs will totally eat that kitten. Like, what are you doing, dude? Yeah. And Cromwell just looks like... This is the only time you see him look confused or unsure. Yeah. He's just like, oh, but I tried... Mm-hmm. So hard to do something nice for you. Yeah, and then Cats in the Cradle kicks in, and it's a whole thing. <laughs> yeah, except the real problem is Gregory doesn't want to be like him, Dad. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Cromwell asks Joanna if Gregory is afraid of him because he seems so lively with everyone else. 
Um, Joanna suspects that he spoils Gregory. Liz apparently also felt the same way. Uh, Cromwell talks about how that he would warm Gregory's shirt in front of the fiery, and Liz would say, don't do that, because then he'll expect it every day. Uh, he says that it seems so long since there's been a baby around the house. She says not to look at him. Cromwell asks... She says she- not to look at her. <laughs> oh, yes. Ugh. Yeah, she says not to look at her. Uh, Cromwell asks if John Williamson is doing his duty, and she says, his duty is not my pleasure. What? <laughs> yeah. And then hurriedly leaves the room. And This is maybe my favorite line read of the whole show, because yeah. he just says, there is a conversation I shouldn't have had. <laughs> and it's just like... We've all done, like, we've like, oh, Mm. I just set something into motion that I am powerless to stop. Yeah. And, okay, well, ha-ha. Here we go. (laughs) It's the millennium. Right. So I I got very excited because Call Me Risley shows up, Mm -hmm. who, (laughs) I don't even know that he's one of my favorite characters from the book. I just enjoy this device so much because his real name is Russ... Risley? Riothesley. Riothes- it's spelled W-R-I-O-T-H-S-L-E-Y, which mm-hmm. he spells out. And I'm calling him Call Me Risley or Risley yes. in our recaps because that's too much. Yeah. So uh, he used to work for Wolsey and then left when Gardner did. And he still works for Gardner. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wants to learn something about business. And Cromwell's like, okay, great. Yeah. And so Rafe and Richard are like, uh, he's going to be like spying on us, right? He's like, yeah, but you know, he seems like affable. We can probably get him to spy for us too. Yeah. And in the scene where Risley is like, you know, interviewing, just having Rafe and Richard like standing behind Cromwell, just sort of, like, staring and, yeah. like, being, like, intimidating. It's great. Yeah. So Cromwell discovers that Wolsey has been flagellating himself. Uh, he, with, uh... Catholics! We're crazy! Yes. With... I don't... Just, what, what on earth would God do with that? Yeah. I mean, why would God crucify his own son... Uh, okay. Oof, right. Taken in that context, I guess it makes some sense. Yeah. But like, Jesus knew very clearly what Jesus was supposed to do. <laughs> God has never come up to somebody that I know of and mm-hmm. been like, hey, hey, why don't you whip yourself? Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, Cromwell with his business-like nature goes to the question of who makes these things mm-hmm. and says that people should be found better jobs. Uh... And Cromwell says that, well, that sucks, but he'll be better off once he's up in Yorkshire. And, uh, Ugo wonders how that they, how they'd pay for it and says, if only you would see the king about it. And like, you know, he done been seeing the king. Right. The king has a sad. It's like, what do you think it is that I do? (laughs) (laughs) So Cromwell does show up to court, documents in hand, and a lot of other people have had the same idea, apparently. enters and everyone stands and the only person that the king does talk to is Cromwell mm-hmm. and he says to ask Wolsey if he has paperwork on this lost ship from a Breton and somebody is it Norfolk or Suffolk or one of it's those guys Suffolk. okay yeah. so Suffolk is like uh, you should really let him take over the case because by the time the case is resolved uh, the Breton will be paying you yeah and the king's like, oh, okay, that seems cool. Yeah, which is actually this weirdly key moment because, like, Norfolk wouldn't speak. Nor- Norfolk still thinks of him as kind of an enemy and all this mm-hmm. sort of thing. But Suffolk is too dumb to know the political implications, yeah. and so he's just like, oh yeah, go ahead. And so, so the king dismisses his entire crew, mm-hmm. and I love that he just like the just he stands there and he just like waves his hand, and they all go. Yeah, it's kinging man. 
What a gig. So he calls Cromwell over and says that he, you know, sticks by his man. And Cromwell's like, uh, yeah, dude. And the king wonders that he has no other master. Mm-hmm. So some, he is a kook and something up. <laughs> That's right. And he then whispers that he can give a thousand pounds to Cromwell and Wolsey in secret. Yes. Not to tell anybody. Yeah. But every day he misses the Cardinal of York. Mm-hmm. And like the pain on Damien Lewis's face. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm like, dude, just don't do what you're doing. Yeah. But he apparently can't, even though he's the king. Yeah. Yeah. Just like on the crown, the monarch actually can't do anything. That's, that's right. I, it, this is just a silly thing this time through, but I was like, wait, so how does he actually get the thousand pounds? I wondered that too. I'm like, so is there like a, like if it's a big secret, it's like, so do you have like a secret bursar for like all your secret payments? Right. Like for people's abortions and stuff, or <laughs> like you just go, you know, to some guy and be like, uh, "Can I have a thousand pounds?" King said it's okay. <laughs> like, oh well, the king said it's okay. <laughs> uh, Bonvisi mildly impressed that Cromwell managed to get some money from the king, and also suspects that uh, Cromwell will be paying a lot of his own money in uh, helping the cardinal move. And uh, Cromwell says that some debts aren't meant to be repaid. Uh, he asks about, Cromwell asks about Thomas Wyatt and Anne Boleyn, uh, which were supposedly a thing. And Bonvisi says the king has probably just uh, shut his ears against that old story. Uh, and he also has a little insight into Cromwell, too, because he talks about how, you know, it's Cromwell's, like, likes Anne Boleyn because a world where Anne Boleyn can be queen, a Thomas Cromwell can be dot, dot, dot. And it's just like... It's nice having Bonvisi around because he's really just like Cromwell's friend. Yeah, and he's and like a Greek chorus for Cromwell's state of mind. Yeah, yeah. And like we get some sense of Cromwell's state of mind, but you know, it's not, he's not a super introspective guy. Like even in the right. book when he gets introspective, it's always like very pragmatic introspection. Yeah. And if he delves <laughs> yeah. too deeply into anything emotional, he's like, oh, nope, cut oh. it out, stop yeah. it, not happening. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, he was subjected to horrific child abuse, so that seems about right. That does seem about right. Yeah. Like Jared on Silicon Valley. <laughs> In some ways. <laughs> I mean, different ways. Yeah. But, you know. Cromwell- both, both very good at business. Oh, yeah. Excellent at business. Yeah. Cromwell makes preparations to move the Cardinal North, and he insists that it's a tactical retreat, not a surrender. And I wonder how much he believes this. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like... His loyalty to Wolsey is never questioned. Right. And I believe it 100%. Yeah. yeah. But he's clearly already making these moves Mm -hmm. so that he has somewhere to go. Right. If it doesn't work out. Right. And it's like, you know, sort of over the course of this episode, it seems like, you know, that it's becoming less of a priority for him. Wolsey is. so, And it's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, and it... I think if you were to ask him at any point, was he still completely devoted to Wolsey? He would say yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, his actions don't line up with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll get to that at the end. Yeah, yeah. Wolsey entreats Cromwell to make friends with Lady Anne Boleyn and then blesses him uh, with the title of this episode, which is Entirely Beloved. Yes. And, again, can't imagine <laughs> being old. Like, he just looks so miserable. Like, he does. Jonathan Price looks wrecked in this role. Yeah, yeah. And just, like, even, like, you know, he has trouble, like, even just sitting down in a chair in his full splendor, uh-huh. he just, like, the way he's, like, yeah, yeah. 
So he gives a gift to Cromwell and Cromwell starts to open it, but he says, no, you know, open it when I'm gone. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to see him open it. Yes. Which I've never understood. People <laughs> do that all the time. Uh, Cromwell gives some orders to Rafe and Richard about moving the Cardinal and Richard says that it's time to let the Cardinal go yet again. And, uh, Rafe communicates the same message with his creepy eyes. <laughs> his cute eyes. <laughs> That's fine. Um, Cromwell opens the gift and he sees the box marked with his initials uh, and then opens uh, his clearly most important box. It has the Tyndale in it and it has a uh, lock of hair from Liz probably and some other remembrances from the girls. Uh, and so he sticks that in there with it and looks out the window at Gregory who has a white greyhound. So still spoiling Gregory, <laughs> even though he is useless. <laughs> right. Cromwell approaches Thomas More. <laughs> Boy, howdy. <laughs> what a sitcom. Yes. So Thomas More is holding a rabbit. Yeah. They're at Utopia. I couldn't remember the name of his estate, right, even right. though it is the name of the book in Ever yeah, After. Yeah. Well, and also, that's also, I think, my primary experience of Thomas More is mm-hmm. as the author of Utopia, the book that Danielle DeBarbarak loves <laughs> in Ever After. So it was quite shocking for me to right. see him portrayed in this manner. Well, with this rabbit, he looks like a supervillain or like... Isn't he? An evil wizard. Isn't he? <laughs> yeah. With all the like weird patched furs. Oh yeah, because he always, he dresses like an insane person. Yes. And, uh, Cromwell's trying to I tell him. I could see him, him walking down Stevenson Street any day of the week and I wouldn't think he was out of place. <laughs> just holding a rabbit muttering to himself like. <laughs> So Cromwell tells Moore that they met a long time ago when they were boys and that he once served him. And Thomas Moore just goes, oh, no, that's that's not a thing. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen. Yeah. And that's a bigger point in the book. Yes, for and sure. And I love because it clearly did happen because Cromwell mm-hmm. would have known who Thomas Moore was. Right. He was well born and, you know, this very smart, genius child. Mm-hmm. And Cromwell was like, mm, does he know a three-card trick, though? <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> Thomas Moore interrupts their entire conversation by handing Cromwell the rabbit and hands him off to Gardner, who's also there, uh, who wants to know why Risley is always with Cromwell as Moore tries to wrangle his fool who may or may not have fallen out of a church tower. Right. And it's just really, it's very much yeah. always Wonderland and tea time at Utopia. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because Gardner says it would be just like him to have a fool that wasn't. Mm -hmm. He seems pretty foolish, though. Hard to say. (laughs) I mean, you know, when in Utopia. Yeah. Uh, So inside, the fool is being very weird, and Thomas More is concerned that his diet is too rich. And Stephen Gardner is like, yeah, it doesn't seem likely here. And you can tell there is a contrast. And I'm not sure if the implication is that he's a vegetarian, Thomas More. Mm. Um, It looked like a... Potentially very vegetarian meal on the mm-hmm. table, but very meager yeah. compared to what was on the table at Von Vici's. Right, right. And, you know, uh, Stephen Gardner, that's my favorite bit is that he's just so crabby about the food. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's also a monkey on the table, which is a fun fact. Gross. Um, a live monkey. Yes. Not an eating monkey. Yeah. 
Uh, more starts, more and, and Cromwell spar about Tyndale, essentially. And, uh, more also slanders Luther in Latin, saying that his mouth is the anus of the world, which I really enjoy. Stephen Gardner really got a kick out of that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, Mrs. Moore asked Thomas why he hasn't married again. He's well off and he's got everything working down below, right? <laughs> and Thomas is like, what have I told you about drinking wine? <laughs> so great it's just insane this scene (laughs) it's just so funny because she's like you know she's just saying what everybody's thinking yeah like i was like yeah why haven't you Mm -hmm. you're cool yeah i'd marry you thomas cromwell (laughs) i am not alone in this Mm Gardner is uh, bringing Cromwell in his rowboat to Westminster to see Lady Anne, which Gardner didn't know. Uh-huh. Cromwell was just like, yeah, I'm just going to Westminster. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I'm going to see Lady Anne. And Gardner's like, you didn't tell me. <laughs> and he says, uh, if I told you everything, Gardner, what would young Risley have to report back to you? Yeah. And Gardner also hates Thomas More and his food, and he says he wished that he had had that rabbit. He would have eaten it raw. Gross. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure that's how you get myxomatosis. <laughs> so Cromwell asks if Gardner, you know, wants to get married. He says, oh, you know, no, I, I'm in holy orders. And he's like, well, but you have women, right? <laughs> and Gardner just goes, what kind of a Putney inquiry is that? Yeah. So either he's gay or ashamed. Or both. <laughs> Yeah. So Cromwell greets or is greeted by Mary Boleyn, who is crying and also admiring his gray velvet. There's a lot more discussion of fabric in the book. Like There really lot. is. <laughs> you know, I can see why that didn't quite make the leap. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, it has so much more to do with how he essays different people's character right, and right. their station in life and their potential vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and it's just not as interesting in a show correct like unless yeah. we had him doing like a carrie bradshaw and i had to wonder <laughs> was his patchwork fur all just a front to make us think that he was as much of a buffoon as his fool or was thomas moore playing a deeper game <laughs> more than meets the eye Jesus Christ. A one-person show you are by Sir so Thomas Morris. Played by Gary Bradshaw. <laughs> yes. You should submit that to the Fringe Festival. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Trademark. Um, I think it's a copyright. Well, whatever. I've got it. <laughs> I don't think that's how this works. <laughs> well, this won't air for another week. <laughs> I've got time. You better hope so. Somebody's on their way to the patent office right now. <gasps> <laughs> that's where you get a copyright right <laughs> yes the patent office of course <laughs> they take walk-ins listen um, <laughs> talk about this scene because i she, love it yes so she warns cromwell that Anne is in a temper uh and talks about how uh Anne is basically making fun of her all the time uh because you know, basically that the king had assumed that because she was from France, she would just give it up real easy uh but Anne says that it's not France and she's not a fool like you mary uh, who did give it up and got cast aside and, uh, the men in her family are calling her, like Norfolk calls her a whore and all this sort of thing. And her so, father calls her a mouth to feed. Yes. Um, so she, uh, needs a husband to stop the men in her family calling her names and Cromwell's like, well, you should ask for someone young and handsome. Uh, and Mary's like, nope. Yeah. 
and she. I know what I like, and I likes the Cromwell. Yeah, she wants a husband who upsets her family and who won't die, uh, and t- touches his velvet again and says, "Don't ask, don't get." Which he just said to her. Yes. So you know, callbacks. Yeah, and uh, he says they'd kill her if she married him, and she's like. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and then tells him that Anne is going to uh, flatter him and try to get him to do a little thing for her, and then she'll be—he'll be her creature. So look out. And she, no, I mean she doesn't even say look out. She says turn around and walk away. Yes, yeah. Instead, Cromwell goes into Anne's quarters and hits Mark Smeaton <laughs> and tells him to cheer up his tune. Which is actually the he's playing the tune that like plays over the opening credits. Yeah. So there's a little meta joke there. <laughs> and Anne Boleyn is like, what the hell just happened? He's like, oh, I just hit Mark Smeaton with one finger. She's like, who is that? And he's like, this lute player, dum-dum. <laughs> so he tells her that he was at Utopia and they were discussing the vice and folly of women. And she wonders if he joined in. Anne introduces her chaplain, Dr. Cranmer. Cranmer. Yeah. I always want to call Cranwell, and that is not <laughs> right. That is a beverage from Ocean Spray. <laughs> he hasn't got any good news from Rome. No. And Anne wonders if Rome will deliver an edict now that there has been this, uh, you know, truce between the Pope and the Emperor mm-hmm. that Henry has to part from her. Jenny Lee, uh, who is actually... Jane Rochford. Jane Washford? Ro- Okay. Jane Rochford hands her a drawing that Anne found in her bed. And uh, it was found when, what does she call her? The little milky crybaby or something like that? Yeah, the mouse-faced creeper, like whatever. The warthog-faced buffoon. (laughs) She's not a fan of Jane Seymour. No, she is not a fan of Jane Seymour. And so she pulls out this drawing and it's of Henry and Catherine and also Anne with no head. Yes. En sans tête. And she wants Cromwell to find out who is responsible for the drawing. And she has a new motto, which I cannot pronounce. Right. But I looked it up, and apparently it translates loosely to, you can whinge if you like, but that's how it's going to be. (laughs) Uh, Which is great. I think that's a great motto, Anne. I admire your tenacity. (laughs) So Cromwell, after a little bit of, you know, sort of, uh, Mary, Mary dead definitely told me not to do this, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. So he takes the paper from her. Uh, so the chaplain, Cran- Cranmer, shows Cromwell to, uh, Jane Seymour. This is like a room out, you know, a room away or something like that. And he introduces Jane to Dr. Cranmer. This is a whole little thing where he's like, do you know Dr. Cranmer? And she's like, no. And he's like, this is Dr. Cranmer. She's real dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Real dumb. Mm-hmm. Well, and Dr. Cranmer said, yeah, this is the one who cries all the time. So like, <laughs> don't look at her weird. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and she is a, a spy, but she doesn't speak French, so she's not very good at it. And she asks Cromwell not to say anything, speak in French when they're there, otherwise she won't have anything to report back. <laughs> and this is Linda from Peaky Blinders. Yes. Slash Victoria, no, Venetia Scott from yes. The Crown. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hey, yeah. I recognize her now. Yeah. Cool story, Kelly. We're all very familiar with this generation of British character actors. <laughs> we don't have a choice anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Uh, yes, if Dr. Cramer is going back to Cambridge, but the Boleyns like to keep him close. Uh, and uh, apparently people have been going out and celebrating the Cardinal as he goes north. And Norfolk, not at all happy about that. 
And Cranmer suggests that the Cardinals should be, you know, maybe a little more discreet, not perhaps the hordes of cheering throngs so much. Back at Austin Friars, Johanna cuts cheese, not a euphemism. Hey, yo. And she asks about Lady Anne. She wants to know if her teeth are good and if she can dance. And Cromwell's like, we didn't dance, dude. Like, I just saw her for like a second. Yeah. And when she asks if uh, her teeth are good, he says that she'll let her know when she sinks them into him. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, oh, it sounds like you got close enough. And then there's an awkward pause. And she says, why does God test us? <laughs> and then she walks away. Oh, and then Cromwell says, I don't think we're going to pass. Yeah. And then she walks away because they're just, you know, oh, will they, won't they? Yeah. It's will they're they, the, when, it's will they, when they. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sam and Diane of Austin Friars. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so I go ask for help. Apparently the cardinal has requested quails to be sent, uh, and has also called a convocation of the northern church without asking the king and it's just so like this scene because like ugo loves the cardinal even more than cromwell yes like and so to see cromwell being like oh if i had been there i would have talked him out of it but also see the ugo being so like um he's like he's got his old spirit back yeah. you know he's feeling more confident he's happier yeah and he's like why aren't you down with this cromwell yeah come on crommy yeah um but Cromwell, yeah, is knows that this is not a good look, really. Um, and he says that he knows that people are saying that he's been bought out, uh, but he hasn't been. Uh, but he can't join uh, Wolsey. He is needed in London to uh, persuade the king to call him back. And the king still likes him, so there's still a chance. And it's like, again, is he sincere yeah. about this? Because yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That's a fair question. But I mean, you know. As far as that goes, Wolsey's out doing something that's clearly going to get him in trouble. And, you know, what can you do? The king is out shooting in the yard, shooting as in archery, as in Katniss. (laughs) And Norfolk wonders what will happen if the king dies while he's out hunting. And he tells a story about the king having fallen, you know, while out on a hunt one time and some peasant, you know, saved his life. Right. And they're wondering, you know, oh, if he dies, who will rule? And somebody's like, well, he has a living daughter. Yeah. And Norfolk goes, Mary, the talking shrimp. <laughs> and Cromwell points out that Mary's grandmother led an army. Yeah. And uh, Norfolk is like, uh, look at this asshole eavesdropping on gentlemen's conversations, mm-hmm. acting like he can be in here mm-hmm. and fucks with us. Yeah. And Cromwell's like, I can fucks with you. Yeah, specifically by saying, uh, that servant that saved the king's life, what was his name? Uh-huh. Meaning that uh, none of you fuckers saved the king's life. Yeah. So, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. And then when somebody tells him that the name was uh, one of the few people whose names I don't know, the the male courtiers I have trouble yeah. figuring out. But anyway, he says that it was named Edmund Modi, and Suffolk says, more like Edmund Muddy, and then laughs and laughs. And, like, everybody stops. Like, the king is like, what's going on over there? Yeah. And, and just yeah. nobody even, they're all just like, just fucking let him go. Yeah. Let him finish it out. And the king is just like, I'm in on the joke. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Cromwell then shoots alongside the king and he shoots, you know, two arrows and comes very close to the bullseye. And he says that they have an archery match every Sunday at his house and they beat the pants off the, uh, the butchers and the grocers. Mm-hmm. And the king gets very excited and says, Oh, I should come. I should come in disguise because a king should show himself, right? Yeah. And Cromwell's like, this is weird, but yeah, yeah, we would win for sure. Yeah. If you came, <laughs> fucking nut job. And then he does indeed hit the bullseye and, the gentlemen all applaud tepidly. They yeah. can't let it well, pass. Right. But the the king applauds enthusiastically. Yes. The gentlemen applaud tepidly. Norfolk does not applaud at all. I noticed. <laughs> uh, so the king and Cromwell are walking in a garden, and the king says that uh, Wolsey told him that Cromwell hated those in religious life, and that's why he's been so about reforming the monasteries. But Cromwell says no, that his dislike of monks is based on experience and not prejudice, and he doesn't like the way that monks abuse their power, and they, you know, take students to children in, then say they'll teach them, but just then keep them as servants their whole life, you know, list all these things. Uh, and then the king is like, also they have a lot of money, right? <laughs> 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 and Cromwell's like, yes, they do. Uh, yeah, like, I, I can, I can be your man for that. And he's like, great, go talk with my lawyers. Uh, it starts to rain a little bit, so they step into a game room, and, uh, the king holds out his sleeve, and for Cromwell to, like, undo whatever. Which I assume it was drawn like that so that he could shoot. Right. It wasn't clear to me, because yeah, he was I think walking, was- I was like, why isn't he? Yeah, because the, you know, the loose sleeves were the fashion, but when you're doing archery, you need your left hand. Anyway, whatever. We don't know anything about archery. <laughs> Let's not front. <laughs> I, I was in Boy Scouts for a year. Um, That's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> the only part I liked about it was archery. <laughs> it's the only part I liked about uh, church camp. <laughs> well, that in the talent show where I slayed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so the king is worried. Anne is, or as he calls her, Nan. Ew. I know. Is, uh, like, threatening to, like, leave him and saying that there are other men and she's wasting her youth and blah, blah, blah. And Cromwell All valid just, points. She'd probably keep her head longer. Yeah. Uh, Cromwell doesn't really have much to say about that. So there's a loud knock on Cromwell's door from King's men in the middle of the night and the household rouses and Johanna wonders what it could be. Cromwell greets William Brereton, who commands him to join the king at Greenwich. And Cromwell basically says, hey, listen, everybody, if I was being arrested, I wouldn't need to be taken to Greenwich. It's fine. Just go back to bed. So he gets there and greets Harry Norris and then approaches the king's chambers. And Rafe and Richard and I think Risley. I think Gregory is there. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think so. Still? Yeah. Him? (laughs) <laughs> yes anyway he is the ambiel so, of this so show they're they're all there and they're not allowed to come with but in the king's chambers the king says that his dead brother arthur came to him in a dream and dr cranmer comments helpfully uh well because basically he was buried under less than ideal circumstances right and dr cranmer says the dead don't come back to complain of their burial it's like how do you know yeah, I think that's a pretty common reason, like, yeah. you know, in, in so far as, like, that's all made up. But that's right. a pretty common excuse for right. ghosts. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why we have burial rituals. Right. It's so they don't hate you. Yeah. So the king says that his brother made him feel ashamed, like he had stolen his wife and his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And Cromwell manages to convince him that it's a positive dream that his brother has come to say, you know, you will be the king that I didn't have the chance to be. And mm-hmm. if your dad shows up, 
Same, same deal. Yeah. Same thing. And this is the critical moment. Like you need to be the, you know, undisputed head of your kingdom, mm-hmm. which is sort of a subtle way of paving the religious reformation. Right. But also gets Anne Boleyn what she wants. And he even says, ask Lady Anne. She'll tell you exactly the same thing. Yeah. You know, this is the moment. <laughs> this yeah. is the time. Well, there was also a line in there that I, I kind of missed that he says, your father did it when he came and took back his ancient right, which is interesting because his father is Henry VII, who had probably the weakest claim to the throne of essentially any English monarch ever. Wow. Like, he was just some random guy, but everybody was so sick of the Wars of the Roses that he came along, won enough battles, and everybody was like, you know, fine, this random dog is your new <laughs> president. <laughs> anyway the king is you know relieved yeah and he says that he knew who to send for i always do and i feel like the king is way into astrology like kings usually are yeah because it's like when you're the ultimate authority Mm -hmm. uh, you know who watches the watchman (laughs) right (laughs) yeah no this yeah being a king must have been so weird I think it's probably still weird if you have managed to continue to be a king. Well, that's true. But I mean, in a different way now, like when you were actually in charge, like, and yeah, that must have been a weird thing. Uh, And I, I just say that because that's what I like about Damien Lewis's performance is he really makes me feel that like he's, and he is, he's like a weird bird. Yeah. Like when they're outside walking and like you see him like looking over the sky, it turns out that it started to rain, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. I also wonder, I'm like, did that just happen? <laughs> yeah. Like, because it didn't appear to be raining up until that point, but like, right. did it just started and they kept it in. But yeah. anyway, but like, you're like, what are you looking at, dude? Like, do you see things that aren't there? Like, what is, <laughs> what is this whole thing about? Yeah. So Cromwell meets a uh, household that came with him outside uh and tells them yeah that that everything is cool and they're kind of heading off cranmer comments that uh cromwell's children love him um one thing about cranmer he seems so ineffectual it's like how did he get to the position he got to and like farther as things go on well but- i mean i would say as far as the bolins are concerned this is what they want mm. like he's ineffectual but he's not ever going to stand up to them yeah yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with it. No, that makes sense. And, you know, I mean, I don't think they even have any particular faith that he's going to Rome and going to get any results. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They just want it to look like they're doing their due diligence here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So they light candles, go back into the house, and Cromwell climbs the stairs to find Joanna waiting for him. Uh, she says that she thought there would be a reckoning and he's like, for what? And she's like, oh, just this nice stuff we have that mm-hmm. we never had before. Well, and we found out, is it this episode? Yeah. yeah. But that, that she and Liz had no money at all growing up right. whatsoever. Right. And you know, she's, uh, gotten a little comfy. Yeah. And, uh, and they make out. And I mean, it, it just makes, go ahead. And I was just, I'm usually very pro making out, but this is so awkward. I'm still pro it happening. Yeah. But it's just like, you guys, like you're yeah. not. Ugh. Yeah. But it like agreed, but it just makes so much sense that it happens. And like, you know, cause there was even Cromwell must for a second have been like, am I about to be, you know, arrested for treason? Like, yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, but and I mean, then that, it's like, this is a totally normal reaction to trauma. Yeah. And it's like, you know, we've been clearly planning to do this for a while. Maybe it's time to just go ahead and get this, you know. Yeah, you know, the next time could be for treason, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that's, you know, and so that whole line about I thought there would be a reckoning and it's like, 
you know, yeah, for all this stuff, but also for, you know, your forbidden lust. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, that was part of it. So the next day, Cromwell lies in bed and sings softly, <laughs> according to the subtitles. Yeah. And the boys are all sitting out at the well being assholes. It seems like they're coming up with, like, random insults. Like, it's yeah, very unclear it what they're doing. Like, like, trading ethnic jokes, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. And so Cromwell comes up and Risley's like standing off to the side mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he's, he's singing this like he's, night and day Cromwell here. <laughs> yes. It's like, dude, like if you want to still be feared, maybe don't get bone because you <laughs> Cause are you turn into a teddy bear. <laughs> and, uh, I think, is it Richard who says that he never talks about himself? I think so. But he then tells them a story about being in Italy with the Portinari boys. Yeah, and clearly he really doesn't because once they realize that he's actually telling the story, everybody's like, Whoa. Like, everybody jumps off the well and <laughs> yeah. runs over. And so he says that they forged a statue and sold it as an antique from the reign of, I forget who. Yeah. But a real old antique yeah. and sold it to this cardinal in Italy. Mm-hmm. And he's so happy. And he says, you know, oh, you know, the Portinari boys went back staggering under the weight of their purses. And they're like, what about you? And he's like, I stayed out and sold the mules, of course. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, he then leaves them all bewildered by this story about himself, which yeah. does not actually like help them understand him any better than they did before. Yeah. But he goes in and he sees the Ugo in chief is in the hall and looks like bad news. Yeah. So he sits down with the Ugo in chief and Harry Percy arrived to arrest Wolsey for high treason. And the cardinal refuses to surrender without seeing a war. And he's very, you know, obliging he's like oh harry if i'd known you were coming i would have held dinner for you yeah. and harry's like fuck you dude i'm arresting your ass yeah so percy and the crew follow the cardinal but the uggo bars the door against them mm-hmm. and then i don't quite understand this so maybe you have some better insight but look at me george i'm not afraid of any man alive uh, you know sure yeah but like maybe you should be right and i think it's just a it's it's a determination in that moment to go down like classily mm-hmm. and like that sort of thing, which uh unfortunately honestly doesn't really quite succeed in. No, so. he very much does not. Yeah. But you know, it's a nice thought. Yeah. Because eventually they got him and they right. carted him and Ugo George out. And on the road south, the cardinal just stopped eating. And, you know, we, we think that he had failing health beforehand. Yeah. But then, uh, I think his name is William Kingston, the constable of the London Tower comes. Yeah. To imprison him. And the cardinal just like can't believe it. Mm-hmm. He just keeps repeating the name William Kingston over and over yeah. again. And eventually the cardinal is on his deathbed and just asking for Cromwell. Yeah. And this is also heartbreaking yeah. because Ugo keeps saying, Oh, you know, he's coming, he's coming. You know, Cromwell, if he says he'll be here, he'll be here. Yeah. And yeah. you know, un- unclear at what point it was communicated to him that Cromwell would be there or like, if this is just deliriousness right. or right. whatever it right. is. And we see last rites being, uh, administered. Yeah. And then he died, uh, the next day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, and, and Ugo's like so sad and like talking he's, about he's how. He's crying. Yeah. Like, he's very visibly crying. Whereas yeah. Cromwell, 
uh, cries a single tear. Mm. And this is not even the part where he's dead. He says that they bury him in this very like plain coffin mm-hmm. and that everybody was making jokes about his low birth. Yeah. And that is when we see Cromwell cry yeah. his single tear. Yeah. That, you know, even, even after everything Wolsey did, he only failed in this one thing. He mm-hmm. amassed an amazing amount of wealth and power. Yeah. And still, once he died, all that anybody would say, and you know, it probably would have been a very different situation. Sure, sure, sure. Had he died in the king's favor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, people still, still would have been doing this kind of crap. Yeah. So then we see a pantomime about Wolsey being dragged to hell. Mm-hmm. And this is current day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Cromwell watches and is very much disliking yeah. what he sees because it's all these demons dragging Wolsey to hell. Yeah, and saying, the devil wants you to carve your venison because you're a butcher. And I was like, that is not a well-structured no, joke. Look, it, like, look, it was, look, it was hard to write topical humor. <laughs> you never knew who was going to die of the plague the next day. Yeah, that's true. And this is also a much bigger deal in the book. They flash back to this constantly. Yes. I mean, I think they will as well in the they TV will, show. Yeah, but, but like, it is so much more, and it's easier too, because again, all of these guys look the same to me. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I, I don't know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> I can generally pick out George Boleyn, but the rest of them I don't know. Oh, right. I forgot he was in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many Boleyns. <laughs> Uh, so Cromwell, uh, recites an official oath pledging his, uh, loyalty to the king to his, sit on his privy council. Uh, and, which Thomas More administers as he is the chancellor now. Uh, and then back in his new office, he opens the box that the cardinal left him and it is a turquoise ring. And again, for book readers, that was a specific ring that had a specific meaning, but. You can probably look a, it up. Yeah. It's. It's a nice ring. and it I can it. ask some of my witch friends. They know all that stuff. <laughs> and then we see Cromwell telling Ugo, well, and, and Ugo is saying, oh, right. I'm praying that vengeance will be, you know, eked out on these people who betrayed the cardinal. Mm-hmm. And Cromwell says, no need to bother God about it, George. I'll see to it myself. Yeah. Which, again, no, it's like it, it kind of casts everything <laughs> else in a weird light to me because it's like, did he really think that nothing bad was going to happen? And that's why he was at arm's distance. Was it that he was really genuinely that busy doing the Cardinal's business? Yeah. And I mean, do you think it's, you know, a reasonable interpretation? And I don't know, is that, you know, the only, the only power that could save Wolsey was the king. So there was kind of no point in being anywhere else but trying to get close to the king. Yeah. Because basically everybody else was against the Cardinal. Mm -hmm. So. Which he did. Yeah. You know, he did the absolute best that he could, Mm -hmm. but. You know, the only other person who could do anything bad to the Cardinal is Norfolk. Mm-hmm. And he's clearly anti the Cardinal. I also love how there's this like, kind of like a martial arts movie plot to this now. Like the teacher has been killed and the student now must oh, become yeah. the master. And That's revenge. actually a really good point. Yeah. I, I didn't think of that until just this time. But. Well, and it's interesting too, because I love Cromwell so much. And I think of Wolsey as such a buffoon. Mm-hmm. Um not that he didn't teach him anything. Right. But just that he, you know, he had gotten really far from his origins, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he forgot how untenable everything is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's all, you know, this sort of thing. Like, I mean, I mean, all of English history of just one of Catherine's kids had grown up and had a, one of Catherine's sons had grown up. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows? Yeah. But. Well, that's it for episode two. Yes. 
And we'll be back with yet another Wolf Hall recap in a week. That's right. So until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs, downstairs, luncheon out.